as well as uh, some people have shared some ministry ideas. So my intent is to have a table that actually lists some of those, or at least where you could come and say, These, this is an idea I have for a ministry, and, um, and maybe uh, kindred spirits will come and share those ideas, and we'll be able to see what God is trying to do uh, from, from really his people, you, right, from his people, coming up from you, just saying, listen, I have this need, well, I share that need, and, and maybe we'll be able to, we haven't been thinking about it, or maybe we have, and maybe something we've said has, has uh, encouraged you to, to step out in faith and to get involved in some way. We ask you to consider those areas of ministry as well. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to do this morning, and that's why I, if you saw me call Dave over to make sure I was okay to do this, is uh, as Jared shared the announcement about Forrest Chapman coming for the teen event on Friday night, uh, March 15th, um, we didn't want to confuse anyone and follow that up with an announcement that there's a children's event the following day, uh, and that registration is also open. Uh, we didn't want to leave everything to Jared and, and have people, because he is the teen director. And so, but we actually actually have uh, this wonderful time. It'll be March 16th from 5 to 8 p.m. And that registration is also open. And so when you are registering your children for that, there'll be two separate events that take place. One for the teens on Friday, one for uh, children third through sixth grade uh, on Saturday the 16th from 5 to 8 p.m. We are also uh, privileged, I think, to have Forrest preach for us on Sunday. So I'm excited about that. This is a man who has come highly recommended. Uh, he served at the same uh, ministry that Dave and I served in. Dave and I both served at Calvary Baptist Church in Lansdale at separate times. Obviously, I was before him, all right, because I'm older, all right. Uh, but, uh, but we both really enjoyed our time there at Calvary. And Forrest came in, I think, Dave, where is Dave? Did he step out? Uh, okay, he had to step out. But, but he was there uh, after you guys, right? Right. So what we see is a succession of sorts. And, but Forrest has, was the, the uh, children's pastor there for years. And uh, I've only heard amazing things about his giftedness in, in ministering to children. So he'll be preaching for us on that Sunday. And then last but not least, there will be an opportunity. We haven't set a time for this on Saturday morning yet. Uh, but there's still some things we've got to work out. But he is going to actually take some time to be with us uh, in the chapel. Uh, for any of those children's ministry workers that want to come, he is going to basically give us some training. So that's not uh, formally set in stone just yet in terms of the timing and, and all that, but I'd ask you to consider making that a weekend where you come and plan to be involved at some level with our children's ministry. Uh, children's ministry is one of those ministries that if a church doesn't have it, the church dies. It's one of those ministries when the church has it, we are always looking for children's ministry workers. And um, it's just, but that's church, and that's what we're excited about. So uh, please plan on coming out for that. Having said enough about that, let's go ahead and, and transition to our, our uh, study today of Matthew 8, 1 through 17. Uh, these are larger portions, but, and, and I'm gonna, we're going to go through the text uh, in, in detail here in just a second. Actually, we're just going to read through it first because this isn't the Scripture reading. I will tie the Scripture reading, which was Ephesians chapter 2, 11, verses 11 through 22. I'll tie those together really right towards the end of the sermon time. 
But I wanted you to see as we, as we are challenged with those verses out of Ephesians that this is God's church. This is Jesus' church. And he has a purpose for his church. And he did great things to bring his church into existence. And he broke down the middle wall of partition that existed. Now, if we remember, there's, there's kind of two aspects of that. He broke down the wall between mankind and God. There is now no barrier that exists that can't be overcome by the personal work of Jesus Christ. This barrier of sin has been overcome in Jesus and what he's done on our behalf. But there's also the barriers that exist within people groups and, and different demographics within our culture and different things. And if you read our, our uh, family happenings that went out this Friday, you can see how I, I played off that idea of breaking down walls. But it's, it's terminology that's used in Ephesians 2. And I think it ties very closely with this passage. So we'll, we'll look at that again. Not, not the actual text of it, but the idea of it as we get to the end of this sermon. So as we, as we start off, before we read uh, verses 1 through 17 of chapter 8, just a reminder, we ha- Jesus has just completed his Sermon on the Mount. We spent many weeks uh, looking at Jesus' teaching about kingdom righteousness, about uh, how, to, to how to live to the glory of God on, in this earth during this time, right? We don't have to wait to live for God till we're in his presence we're in his presence now. We can live for God's glory now. And, and so Jesus is teaching both the here and now, and he's also teaching about the future. And so as we, as, as we wrestle with what it means to be a Christian and, and how to live the Christian life, Jesus is now going to step into some um, really good... Um, uh, what's the word? Um, I'm thinking, it's not word pictures. It's illustrations of how to live... A life uh, that honors him and, and, and how we can trust him. So let's go ahead and just read the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 8. Um, and let me see. That's, that's because I did something just before uh, I came up here. So let me see if this is going to work. There we go. All right. Matthew 8, starting verse 1. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer, cast out into outer darkness, There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. 
As you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that hour. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother uh, lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her. And she arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were uh, demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. That it might be fulfilled which, has, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. We're not in the uh, preaching a lesson, you must do this, you must do that. Jesus is coming on the scene now. We're entering into the narrative of, the, of uh, another narrative of the, of the gospel uh, uh, proclamation. And, and, and we're seeing Jesus transition from the mountain where hundreds and probably thousands listened to his teaching. And there was a buzz going on about who Jesus is. And before we get, go into detail uh, uh, on these stories, I want to just ask you a few questions. You'll notice there's some similarities. Uh, but this is the easiest question to answer. Uh, what do the leper, the paralyzed servant, and the feverish woman have in common? What do they have in common? They were sick and they were healed. All right? Excellent. Perfect. All right? Uh, yeah. So they were each healed through the power of Jesus Christ. And, and when we engage in the text any text, we are overcome by the, by the simplicity of this, right? This is what is going on. And if we were there, we'd be like, wow, that is amazing. Jesus healed three healing stories, three miracle stories. There are going to be many more heal, uh, excuse me, uh, miracle stories that we encounter in, in Matthew. But here are the first three miracle stories that are taking place, uh, healing stories, in, in the Gospel of Matthew. And, and so I want to, first of all, just say, praise God that Jesus has the power to heal. That is something we can all rejoice in. We pray for healing we, for ourselves and for others. And, and from this text, we certainly can get the first and, and uh, most obvious point that healing is only through the power of Jesus Christ. But there's more. So I have another question. What do the leper, the centurion, and the mother-in-law have in common? And I'm not going to ask you to answer this because you'll never get the answer that I want you to give. All right, so what do the leper, the centurion, and the mother-in-law? Notice it was Jesus walked into Peter's home and Peter's mother was there. You've got to be careful with the English language. But it is Peter's mother-in-law that we're talking about here. So what do they have in common? Well, they each understood their social status. If you consider a leper, a leper is someone who has this skin disease, and there's many views about what it might be, the extent, and we're not going to get into all that. I'm going to just talk about the most, most horrific kind. The most horrific kind of leprosy is when uh, a person uh, far into the disease has uh, basically lost the sense of pain, and they will end up losing digits from their hands and toes. They'll lose limbs even uh, as, as the body is just disintegrating and, and experiencing the corruption that leprosy brings to a body. It's, it is disgusting. And these leprous people were called to, basically if they were going to enter into an area where there were other people, they had to wear uh, ripped clothing, they had to have their hand over their, their mouth, and they had to yell out, unclean, unclean. 
That, imagine yourself in that situation for a moment, a, a, a leprous person, and, and, and what was your social life like? You didn't have one unless it was with other lepers because you weren't allowed to be around regular, healthy people. And so a leper on the social status, they were the bottom rung. They were, they, were not, they, were, they were as far down as much as a Roman citizen was up. And so that's who we have next. The centurion knew his social status. The centurion, and we'll talk more about him in a few minutes, but he was, he was an officer in the, Roman, uh, in the Roman army. And he had privileges among, uh, above those of, of just the regular Roman soldiers. Certainly he wasn't the hierarchy in terms of the emperor or even those, the generals and those, but, but he had status. And in the first world, uh, first century, excuse me, uh, of, of the Roman period here, we, we, we would say he was at the other end of the spectrum than the leper. And then you have the mother-in-law. What's her social status? Well, the odds are that she is a widow. Because if she's living in Peter's house, that means her husband is no longer caring for her. And, and so women were basically... Uh, tied to a man in some fashion, either hus- either a father, husband, uh, son, um, uh, some some uh, male family relative of some sort, because there was on the on the social status scale, women were not treated very highly. All right, so what do, what do the diseased, the despised, and the dependent have in common? Same people. All right. Only the first one talked about the, the slave of the uh, centurion. But from now on, we're talking about the same people. What do the disease, the leper, the despised, the centurion, and the dependent, the mother-in-law, have in common? Well, they each understood how Jewish people viewed them. In the Jewish community, these people were viewed a particular way. It wasn't just the social status that existed in the Roman Empire. There was a certain uh, aspect of Jewish culture that, that would have uh, labeled each one of these people as either diseased, de- despised, or dependent. And there would have been a level of credibility or respect and, and a lack of credibility and respect depending on how each Jewish person was looking at them. This is the, this is the society that we're engaged in. What, so what do the outcast, the leper, the oppressor, the centurion, and the second-class citizen have in common? And this is also kind of obvious, but we'll just say it. They had a need. They had very real needs. And Jesus graciously met their need. That's why we enjoy these miracle stories. We see the power of God unfold. We see it change the lives of the people in Scripture. And, and we think to ourselves, whoa, I want that for my life. Well, well, we'll get there. So let's look at each person just a little closer, and as well as there's a fourth group I haven't mentioned yet. But well, first of all, the leper. Just to go through here, we've already read the text, but it says, when he had come down, a leper came and worshipped him. That idea of worship in this sense is, is not necessarily worshipping him as God. In other translations, probably ESV I think has this, is probably, uh, as well as other translations, it's talking about the idea of kneeling before him. Uh, uh, throughout Scripture, both Old and New Testament, the words for bowing, kneeling, serving, they are often translated as worship, depending on the context. And so here we have this leper. He came, uh, notice he came because there were great multitudes. Great multitudes were following Jesus, and this leper came in the midst of the great multitudes. 
Now, I've already shared a little bit about what lepers people are called to do. So what we are supposed to see in these words in such close, close proximity is the fact that this is stark craziness. You have potentially thousands of people thronging around, swarming Jesus on, on his every word, and you have a leper who's supposed to be screaming, unclean, unclean, coming right up to Jesus. So I kind of doubt he was yelling unclean and unclean because it just said, listen, all these people are following him, and this leper came and worshiped him. And so I, we, what we're, I think, called to see uh, from the standpoint of this leper, this is one bold individual, one bold, law-breaking uh, not necessarily sensitive to the, to the physical and, and mental and emotional needs of those around him, but he had a need, and his need needed to be expressed to Jesus. He, he felt compelled to go to Jesus and say, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. We're going to talk about some of the, the, what we can learn about this in our own life, and I'm going to bring some terminology to it later. I just want to walk through the story. Lord, if you are willing... You can make me clean. There, this is an expression of confidence, an expression of faith. And, and so he says, Lord, if you're willing. So he knows one thing. He knows that uh, Jesus is able to heal. He's able to clean. By the way, this is cleansing terminology, not necessarily healing terminology. He, he, he is a Jewish man who has not been able to be around Jewish people or in the presence of the temple uh, ever since he was diagnosed with leprosy, he is the outcast. He is the diseased. He is the lowest rung of society. And he's saying, Lord, if you are willing, it's conditional. You can make me clean. And he's saying this is, this is something he had a, a level of faith in. But what he didn't know is if would Jesus heal him? He didn't know that part. Think about it for a minute. We know Jesus, the full picture of Jesus is presented in Scripture. But from his perspective, does he know who Jesus fully is? No. Does he, he could be, others called him rabbi. Uh, he called him Lord here. It's probably a word of respect more than anything of acknowledging his deity. But here we see he's coming to him, Lord, and I know you can heal me, but will he? Maybe he's a rabbi who is so uh, engrossed in the law that would understand this very act that this leper is committing is against the law. And he doesn't know whether Jesus will heal him. Heal him. I, I will, I'm going to ask this question later if you have needs in your life. And so I'm, I'm just saying maybe there's a need where you're wondering, I, I know God's able, but will he? It's something for us to consider. And then the most amazing words, I think. Next to the words, my two, the, the two aspects of, of Jesus' life and the, and the things that he did, the two are, are right next to one another. Last week we looked about how... Uh, Jesus was, um, uh, the words that Jesus spoke when he said, depart from me, I never knew you. We talked about the seriousness, the sobering aspect of that truth, that there will be those who think they are Christians, but when it comes time to, to stand in the presence of God at the judgment seat of Christ, they will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Harsh words. These are words that just amaze me almost as much. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched Think about power of touch just for a moment. 
Have you embraced your child today? Have you embraced a friend? Have you, have you experienced any physical touch today? A person that goes without physical touch is going to live a life that is somehow deficient. We need physical touch in our lives. Leprous people are only allowed to touch other leprous people because in the Jewish society, anyone who was not leprous uh, to touch a leprous person, their ritual uncleanness would be transferred from that leprous person to, to the individual. When you talk about the consequences of, in Jewish law, when you talk about all the various aspects of things that can make you clean and not clean, and all the leprosy was right underneath touching a dead body. Touching a dead body made someone unclean. And right underneath there was leprosy. You touch a leper, you are unclean. And, and as you look at Leviticus 13 and 14 and you look at that passage, you have to go to great lengths to, get, to go through the ritual. Of, if you're ever cleansed from leprosy, you have to go through all these things which takes a, and, and sacrifices. It takes a total of eight days for someone to, to go through. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, it's, it's an amazing thing that Jesus did because any other rabbi, if he had touched this leprous person, would have been unclean, not able to perform any functions within the temple, not be able to do anything. But Jesus put out his hand. It was not just a touch, right? You know, he touched me. You know, it's not that. The idea is a firm grip. I could see Jesus just putting his hand on the man's shoulder. He touched him saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. Um, why do I love these words so much? There was a time in my youth and my teenage years where I was really, really lonely. And whenever I read this text, in the, and there's another account of this in Mark and in Luke, uh, or actually maybe just Luke, um, but uh, when, I, when I hear these words, I, I put myself in the position. Can you put yourself in the position of this leper? Just for a moment. He may not have been touched. If he's in the, in the far reaches or the end state of his leprosy, depending on what's going on, we don't know. It doesn't give us the details. But if he's, if he's far along in this, he has not experienced the touch of another human being like this in probably years. And Jesus, meeting his need, graciously, doesn't just cleanse him, doesn't just heal him, he touches him. He says, I am willing, be cleansed, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. To see it would have been a marvelous thing. Now remember, there are a lot of people surrounding Jesus. How many heard the interaction? I don't know. But we're told, uh, Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one. That's what I think is interesting, right? Because all of those around him are certainly going to tell everyone. And we see that take place later. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gifts that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So what's going on here? First of all, he's saying it's not time for a political power move. I really don't want these people to rally around me and lift me up on their shoulders and carry me to Jerusalem and pronounce me king. We dealt with that at the, the, grateful, the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ as he came in on a, on a lowly donkey. He didn't come on, uh, come into the city uh, uh, just as we celebrate Holy Week, uh, leading up to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. 
he, didn't, he didn't come in on a, on a horse like a soldier would. He came in on a donkey. There was a time and a place and a way that all this was to happen, and this wasn't it. So it wasn't time for a political power move. And so he said, listen, just go do what? He said, go to the priest. It was time for Jesus to show his obedience to God's law. People needed to understand that Jesus came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. And I, I don't have time, we don't have time to go to that text in Leviticus, but, but to understand there were, there's an entire chapter uh, at least applied to what a person must go through when they're cleansed of leprosy. And, and as I tried to research, was anyone ever cured of leprosy aside from the hand of God, the work of God? I could find no evidence in Scripture, and I really couldn't find any evidence online. So as we talk about a leper being healed, this is the rarest of rarest occasions. In Scripture, we have Miriam, who is, is uh, marked with leprosy for a, a period of days, right? She was outside the city because of her rebellion against her brother Moses. We have uh, a Naaman, who is uh, cured of leprosy because he dunked himself. God said, the God's uh, prophet said, dunk in, in the River Jordan seven times. And I'm always amazed that if he had said at six, you know what, I'm done with this. This is dumb. And walked out, he'd still have leprosy. But no, he was obedient, fully obedient, dunked the seven times, came out clean, cleansed of his leprosy. Le- leprosy, uh, kind of like Jeopardy, but not. Um, so, so Naaman is a Gentile, right? A soldier, a uh, government official at least. And so here we have uh, these multiple accounts of leprosy going on in Scripture. And a whole chapter in the Old Testament assigned to what must take place if the Jewish person is healed. But we have no recorded Jews who, re, who were healed of leprosy in Scripture. We have a Gentile and we have Miriam who was, okay, so she's a Jew. but and, and So maybe that is the one account where it's actually a Jewish person. But I will say uh, the temple wasn't even there. The law had not been put forth yet. Moses was going to do that shortly thereafter. I, I'm just saying, as, as, we, as we consider the, the power of this passage, uh, Jesus says some stark things. Don't tell anyone it's not time, but go tell the priest. It is a testimony to them. And the testimony is probably a multifaceted testimony. One, God's word is true. There is healing for leprosy and is found in Jesus Christ. Two, uh, it's a testimony to them that Jesus is who he says he is, the Messiah, the Deliverer, the one who is able to meet people's needs. So as we transition to the centurion, we see now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, this centurion came and he was pleading with him. Remember the social ladder that we've already discussed, leprosy or the leper, the centurion. Jesus is in society. He is not above the centurion in that society. But notice what this centurion does. This military officer, he says, he pleads with Jesus. He is submitting himself to Jesus because he knows something about Jesus that's different. He says, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. So he's saying, uh, Jesus said, "I'll, I'll come and heal him. And so uh, this, this reference down here, we don't have a lot of time. Again, as you read the, the parallel passages between uh, one gospel, one synoptic gospel and another, or even the, the gospel of John, 
In the, in the Luke 7, 1 through 10 passage, the centurion sends messengers to Jesus. He's not there himself. And as you compare these two and as you reconcile these two, we're not dealing with, with um, what's the word, uh, error. We're not dealing with contradiction. We're not dealing with contradiction. Uh, one illustration I read said if, if the President of the United States sent someone to you today, right now, and handed you an invitation to come to the White House for dinner, right, long trip, but I'm sure he'd provide Air Force One, right, that you would be like, hey, the President invited me to dinner. Well, no, he didn't. His flunky did, right? But that's not what's going on here. You would say, yeah, that's, that's the case. The president invited me to dinner. That's, that's what's going on in these passages. The centurion, in this, as we, the real-life event, was probably not present, as it's recorded in Luke. He, he sent fell, uh, Jewish rabbis. And they were like, this guy is worthy. This guy is worthy for you to, to minister to him. Uh, and then as they got closer, the, the centurion sent other people to speak with Jesus. Uh, and, and notice... It all flows very nicely because he said, listen, he had this request. His need is that his servant is lying home paralyzed. And Jesus is saying, I will come and heal him. He is willing to come to the house of a Gentile. So what, just a note, only slightly less horrific than touching a leper in the Jewish society is Jesus' willingness to go to a Gentile's home. If you remember Acts chapter 10, I think it is, where, where Peter goes to Cornelius' house and, and, and God had revealed to Peter, you know, through the lowering of, of, the, of, the, of the sheet with the food. And he says, please, please, you know, he goes, eat, kill, and eat. Oh, Lord, I haven't, I've never eaten anything unclean. He, the end of the result of that, don't call unclean what I have declared clean. Here we see Jesus is willing to go to the home of a Gentile. Someone who was on a, a different social uh, status and someone, but someone who knew something about faith in God, right? But as the, as the Jewish people would have considered it, this would have been scandalous that he was willing to go. It said he answered and he said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. He understood, the centurion understood the social dynamics that were going on. And he re, he's saying, I respect you, Jesus. Again, this Lord is not a declaration of his deity. It's a, it's a sign of respect. But remember, this is a military officer respecting a, a, a Jewish rabbi. But he says, listen, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Please, don't, don't even think about it, right? Uh, he says, but only speak a word. This is some of the most powerful words in this whole section because it's declaring that Jesus' word is enough. His word is enough. God spoke creation into existence. Jesus spoke creation into existence. And here we see, as we talk about the God-man, the, 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 the Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human, if he were to just, just speak of word, his servant will be healed. That is a statement of faith, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. He says, for I also am a man under authority. And this is the essence. This is the first time this word is used here. But if you notice at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, the people marveled that Jesus spoke as one with authority, not like the scribes and of the Pharisees, right? He, he, he spoke with authority. Here we see him exercising that authority. And at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus declares, all authority has been given to me under heaven and on earth, right? 
Jesus has all authority. Here we see he's starting to exercise that authority and healing a leprous person and healing a servant. So he says, for I am also a man of authority having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, go. We, we get it. This centurion is, is looking at Jesus and he's saying, I know the dynamics. If I say something, people jump. If you say something, people get healed. And that's what takes place. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, right, not just his disciples. He's probably talking to the larger crowd, anybody that's willing to listen. Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Amazing. It says he marveled. Take note of this. Only three times was this word used to describe Jesus' reaction to other people's faith. Three times in Scripture. Twice they were used positively. He marveled at the faith of Gentiles. And one time, which we've already, we just encountered not too long ago in, in our study, once negatively, and that was with the Jews of his own hometown. He marveled at their lack of faith. Here, he's, he's marveling at the centurion's faith. Elsewhere, he's marveling at the faith of a, of a Gentile woman. So as we consider that Jesus, this got Jesus' attention, I, I don't know about you, I'm wondering, have I ever done anything to get Jesus' attention? I'm telling you, anytime you act in faith, Jesus is paying attention. Right? Let's be people of faith. He says, I say to you that many will come. This, these are harsh words. They're going to come from east and west. We're talking about Gentiles here. And they're going to sit down with the patriarchs of the, of the Israelites, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the kingdom of heaven, of which Jesus has just finished talking about on the Sermon on the Mount. But the sons of the kingdom, notice this, many will come from east and west, but the sons of the kingdom, they're in stark contrast. And so the, the sons of the kingdom are the, are the Jews, the Israelites, the ones who knew the truth, the ones who have been blessed to, to receive the, the spoken and written word of God. The ones that have seen God's hand, uh, his, his fingerprints all over their history of deliverance and, and, and chastisement. These sons of the kingdom, they're going to be cast out into outer darkness. What we're talking about here is the judgment of God. The judgment of God is reserved for those who do not have faith in Jesus Christ. So I asked you earlier, and I'm going to ask you again, do you have a need and I'm going to say, yeah, we have needs, and we're going to talk about that. But listen, have you at this particular point in time come to faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who's holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all the things seen and unseen, Right? We, we use this terminology. We talk about all this through a creed or through scripture or whatever. Or, listen, have you come to faith in Jesus? Because today's the day to come to faith in Jesus. And if you, but if you don't come to faith, in other words, the, the, uh, a faith of understanding who he is and what he's done for you. Don't just, as we talked about last week, don't just pray, okay, Jesus, I believe because I don't want to go to hell. There's more. Who is Jesus? He's the one who meets the only spiritual need that we genuinely need, which is forgiveness of sins first. After that, everything else is taken care of, but I'm just telling you that the, the spiritual need we all have to come to grips with is we need a Savior 
from the penalty of sin. And if you haven't come to that, you need to come to faith in Jesus. Because we're talking about the judgment seat of God. Those who think, here's the, 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 the idea again. Those who think they are righteous and holy and going to see and be spending eternity with God are going to be on the outside. And there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. As you have believed, so let it be done. And, and his servant was healed that same hour. The idea there is he believed and it was done. It, it's very clear this centurion had faith. What about the woman? All right, there's only one slide for the woman, all right? Because we don't really know much about this. And this isn't, to me, it's a, a little harder to express than, than the leper or the centurion. But he comes into Peter's house and he, and he sees his wife's mother, Peter's wife's mother, lying sick with a fever. There's no petition there's no request. There's no boldness. There's no, she is sick in bed. The idea of this fever, it, it is a daunting fever. It is something that has just put her down and put her down hard. This isn't, I have a low grade 99.5, right? This is a, she is on death's door potentially. It is a serious fever and Jesus doesn't, he doesn't wait for her to demonstrate any faith before he just touches her and heals her. But I do think we see her faith afterwards because after the fever, fever left her, she arose and she served them. Some translations say served him, others say them. Uh, but either way, she got up and she wasn't suffering from the side effects of the, of the fever anymore. She was back about her normal business, but she was serving Jesus Christ. That's about as much as we can say about her. What about the many? This is the rest of the text. It says, when evening had come, they brought many who were demon-possessed. Now, this is, again, if we want to see something miraculous, right, we're going to want to see the feeding of the 5,000. We're going to want to see the, someone being raised from the dead, Lazarus. We're going to see demons cast out. So they brought many to him who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word. Just one word. He just... He doesn't have to do any incantations. He doesn't have to go study on how do I get rid of this demon. He doesn't have to fast and pray. He doesn't have, he, with a word, because his authority is what is on display. And then he healed many who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, excuse me, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And we'll get there in just a minute. So what are the outcasts, the oppressor, and the second-class citizen have in common? They each had a need which Jesus graciously, uh, graciously met. And, and here's the question I have for you. Do you have a need this morning? We still have some things to say. I'm not, this isn't me tying it up just yet. Hang in there. Do you have a need this morning? What aspect of life is pressing upon you? Are you experiencing an unkindness? I don't know why I came up with these words. Unkindness was pretty easy, but defrauding and an inequity, something. I'm just, these words just came to me, and I'm just like, there are people feeling these things. Someone has taken something from me or promised me something and then not done it. Maybe I've been taken by, a, by an online scammer or email scammer or a phone scammer, but someone's defrauded me. And I now not, I do not possess the thing I possessed earlier. I, I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. Are, are you experiencing these things? Are there things going on in your life? Are you experiencing a physical trial? An emotional break? A financial hardship or a spiritual crisis? Are, listen, the church is often referred to as a hospital, a spiritual hospital, because we are weak 
we come across these things and it crushes us. So I'm wondering if any of those are true of you here this morning. Is there something squeezing you which challenges your understanding of Jesus' authority over your life? Remember, we talked about anxiety not too long ago. And, and so as we, as, we, as we look at this, what is, what is, if there is anything, is it bringing you to the point where you don't fully grasp the authority that Jesus has over your life? Because if you answer these questions with a consistent no, then I'm asking you to remember your past or consider your future, right? Remember the past when it was that way. And if you've never experienced it, and young people may not, I'm telling you, there's a great potential that your future, you will encounter these things. Why? God uses these things in our lives to grow us in trusting him. Romans 8, 28 and following. So we all have a need this morning. And that need is this. We need to embrace the truth that Jesus exercises his authority for the good of the faithful. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that Jesus exercises his authority, all the authority that's been given to him, Matthew uh, 28, all the authority that, that as he spoke and people listened to? Are you, are you knowledgeable? Are you, are you coming to the realization that Jesus has authority over your life? He's not just a nice guy to believe in. He's not just a healer who who ought to be sought after when you're sick. There's not an area of your life. One famous theologian said there is not a square inch of this world and of your life that Jesus Christ does not have authority over. I love that quote. I didn't quote it, paraphrase it, but I'm just telling you. If you are deceived today, it's to think that somehow you are not under the authority of Jesus Christ. That authority can be lived out as his child or as his enemy. Regardless, he has authority in your life. So when we embrace Jesus' claim to authority over our lives, our faith, that's what's on display here in the centurion's uh, in each, and certainly the leper and the centurion by far, faith is being demonstrated before the healing event. For the woman, I think it's, it's after. But here we see, listen, if we're called to embrace Jesus' claim of authority over our lives, our faith enables us to do a few things. One, it, it enables us to express convictions. The, the conviction that was expressed by both the leper and, and the centurion is that Jesus is able to meet my need. Lord, if you will, you can heal me. You can cleanse me. Lord, you do not have to come under my roof. If you just say a word, my servant will be healed. We are able to express the conviction that Jesus is able to meet our needs. Are you able to do that today? Can you stand here today with whatever it was that on there that resonated with you? In your financial crisis, are you able to say, Jesus is able to meet my need? Is that a conviction of your soul? Because if it is, then our faith enables us to experience comfort. Jesus will meet my need according to his his purpose for me. It doesn't mean that that financial situation will just resolve and go poof. But because Jesus' authority, uh, I know it exists and he's able to do it. If he doesn't do it, Romans 8, 29, right? If he doesn't do it, then he's doing it for my good. He's doing it for his purposes, for me. Even in the daunting, overwhelming aspects of life, God has purpose He has not forgotten you, child of God. He has not forgotten you. 
Your faith in Jesus ought to bring about convictions because in those convictions you will, you will have great comfort. Our faith enables us to extend compassion. Others need Jesus to meet their needs. This is something that has been true of the Christian faith and Christian believers since the time the church was begun. We are able to see the needs of others, and we are able to esteem them better than, our, than we are our, ourselves. We're able to, to give. Uh, uh, the church had all things in common because the rich were giving their resources to feed the poor. And, 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 and we, we are supposed, we are called to live out our faith in a way where we're extending compassion to those who are in need. Now, that compassion may be by sending missionaries and supporting missionaries so the gospel can go to unreached people groups. But it also could be extending compassion to someone that needs a meal, needs a roof over their head, needs a kind word, needs to have that overwhelming, crushing need that we've talked about met. And Jesus can often meet those needs through his, his disciples, you and me. Because other people need Jesus, right? Right? Lastly, our faith enables us to enjoy his church. And this is where I'm going to tie in a couple different passages for a moment, right? If we're talking about our faith enables us to enjoy his church, the emphasis is it's his, it's not ours, it's not yours, it's not mine, it's Jesus Christ's church. This is the church that we're able to enjoy. It was foretold in Isaiah 53. That is the passage. We, we can look at it here. It says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. That's the way this section concludes. And it's referring to Isaiah 53, the, the section of Isaiah that talks about the suffering servant. And in this we see, notice all the, all the plural, all the ownership pronouns here. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That's the quotation. Yet we esteemed him stricken, spitten by God, and afflicted. I'm going on in more. This isn't the whole, this, this is now just going to that text and seeing what is this text teaching us about Jesus and our faith in him. If we had lived in Isaiah's day, we would have esteemed him stricken, spitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led by as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. We, we, we know this text. This is what Jesus went through uh, before Pilate as he was getting ready to be crucified. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. All right, so as, as we consider this Isaiah passage, I, I want us to consider this is the, this is the church future. All this is only legitimately true of people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now certainly the Old Testament saints, as they professed faith in God and lived, and lived faithfully, God, God redeemed them, right? Because it was always looking forward to Jesus, always looking forward to Jesus. And when Jesus comes on the scene and he does all this, by his stripes we are healed is something that Christians can say with confidence and conviction. 
and it enables us to have compassion on others. So if we're going to enjoy his church, it's certainly referenced in, in, in a four-looking way in the Isaiah 53 passage, but it's also the one described in Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2, the, these miracle stories prefigure the breaking down of the dividing wall of hostility in Ephesians 2.14. Talking about that passage where Jesus destroyed that wall that kept people from getting into the presence of God. The high priest was allowed in the Holy of Holies. And then the priests were in the, 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 the next section. And then there was the court of the men and the court of the women and the court of the Gentiles. There were all these barriers you had to get through to, how can I get to, the, to, to God's presence? Through Jesus. And Paul is saying to the Ephesians, Jesus is the one who broke down the dividing walls of hostility. There is now no more Gentile and Jew. He saved both. And there is peace amongst those two. So Jesus has the authority to break down the wall of sin which separates us from God. And I'm asking you, have you realized that? Many of you have. Jesus has the authority to break down the walls which separate from those around us. There are walls that we have built, maybe in this church, maybe in other churches, but between believers, there are walls that we have built that only Jesus can take down. By coming to grips with the gospel of Jesus Christ and how to live it in your life, you can actually see the walls come down between broken relationships with other believers. Are you willing to allow Jesus to break down whatever walls are in the way of your fellowship with him? That's coming to faith. If you're not a Christian today, this is what I'm saying. Are you willing to allow Jesus to break down the wall of your shame? Are you willing to let Jesus come into your life and, and save you from the penalty of your sin? So many people say, I, I can't come to Jesus until I clean up my life. Jesus is the only way you're going to get your life cleaned up. He doesn't expect, he doesn't require, he doesn't ask. He just graciously gives. Are you willing to allow Jesus to do that in your life and come to faith in him so that you can have fellowship with him, fellowship with God? Believers, are you willing to do the same thing so that you can have fellowship with him, a close fellowship with him, and with his children, your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you willing to take the step? Are you willing to live faithfully for Jesus? Because Jesus exercises authority for the good of the faithful. If we're not going to live faithfully, we should stop crying out in the name of Jesus. Let's live faithfully. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together to be in your word. May you be glorified as we live out our faith. Lord, I do pray for those that are here this morning that do not have faith in Christ. They just, they just have had stumbling blocks put in their way. But maybe something today has is, is helped them understand their need of a Savior from their sin. We pray, Lord, that you draw them to yourself, that you would bring them to faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. And, Lord, if you choose to, to use one of us to help explain that, I pray that you do that uh, today. And, Lord, for the rest of us that have maybe had faith for a week, maybe have had faith for uh, generations uh, for decades. Uh, so, Father, I pray that you would do your work in the hearts of your people so that they might glorify you by living in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.